You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Right, grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians, if you would. We're continuing our series entitled Alive Together. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter number four this morning. If you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up at our website at whoecala.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast and uh, get caught up that way. This is message number 30 in our series entitled Alive Together. We've just been uh, this year going through the book of Ephesians uh, verse by verse and, and talking about what uh, uh, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus there and how it applies to our lives. And today we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter number four. Uh, we're going to start in verse number... Let's take a look at uh, starting in verse number 11, if you would. Uh, We'll go through a little bit of a review over what we took a look at the last couple of weeks. Again, if you missed those, you can get caught up on our podcast for that. Uh, But the last couple of weeks we've been taking a look at, uh, we took a look at two weeks ago, why everybody needs a pastor. Verse number 11 talks about how God's given certain people uh, to the church for the purpose of helping them mature in their relationship with God and to grow in their faith. Uh, Last week, we took a look at why every Christian needs discipleship. Uh, Discipleship helps us to know truth from error. It strengthens our church by uh, giving us unity in our faith and makes us mature believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And today we're taking a look at how our lives should be distinctively different uh, from unbelievers. Uh, the title of today's message is entitled The Expectation of Holiness. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse number 11 and go through uh, verse number 19 this morning. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers the perfecting of the saints, that means for the maturity of believers, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up unto him into all things which is the head even unto Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Verses 17 through 19 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. In high school, I was, a, I was a decent kid. I didn't get into a whole lot of trouble. I didn't do a lot of uh, uh, really bad things, I guess you could say. I was a pretty decent kid, I guess you could say. My parents tried to uh, keep tabs on me. Uh, my parents were Christians, but they didn't, uh, I wouldn't say that our, our home uh, had a lot of uh, uh, strong discipleship, you could say. My parents had some moral rules that they had set up of things I could and could not do uh, as, as their child, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I hated it at the time, but I'm thankful for it today. But I remember especially one year, I was, uh, I was a junior in high school, uh, and, and a guy that I knew was having a graduation party at his house uh, after graduation. And I asked my parents if I could go, and uh, my parents uh, 
began to, to say, well, you know, what, who's going to be there? What's going to be going on and things like that? I knew that there were things that were going on there that I shouldn't be involved in, but I tried to convince my parents anyways. I tried to say his parents are well aware. Uh, they had no problem with them having this party. And she said, how many people are going to be there? I don't know. It was in the hundreds of people that was going to be there, right? It wasn't like uh, just four or five friends getting together, having pizza and watching TV. Uh, it was uh, lots of people. I knew that there were things going on there that I shouldn't be involved with, but all my friends were going. Uh, everybody was going to be there. Not only were there going to be uh, two things that I, I thoroughly enjoyed in high school, uh, there were going to be girls there, and I was very excited about that. Secondly, there were going to be two fights that I knew of that were going to happen at this party, right? And because, and, you know, it's just like, I'll see you at the party on Friday night. It's like, yeah, get some, right? Uh, and so uh, I was really excited about that. And to, to miss out on this party meant that there, uh, there wouldn't be girls to talk to because I'd be at home with my parents. Uh, and I wouldn't get to see these two fights that were going to go down. So I tried every way that I could to convince my parents over a period of weeks that I should be able to go to this party. Uh, there was going to be drinking there. There's going to be drugs there. There's going to be all kinds of other stuff. But I promised to stay away from those things and do the right thing. Um, it, all of that fell on deaf ears. So finally, as a last, last ditch effort, I pull out the final card of futility. And I said to my parents, everybody else's parents are letting them go to this party. I am and again, here's how foolish I was, literally the only person who is not going to this party. Everybody else's parents are letting them go. And my dad pulled out this statement that I promised I would never make to my kids. <laughs> when I get older, I'm never going to say that to my kids. And he said, I'm not everybody else's dad. I'm your dad and you're not going. Okay, fine. Oh, I was mad about it. But I look back now and think my parents knew what was best. I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have gotten involved in that. And the cops got called and people got arrested and stuff like that. It was craziness that I missed out on, right? Looking back now with the hindsight of 20 plus years, I'm thankful that my parents protected me and kept me out of trouble, right? I didn't get it at the time. God in his word as a loving heavenly father says to you, I got some things I need you to stay away from because they're gonna hurt you. I got some things that are gonna to try to trip you up and trap you and you need to stay far away from them because I've got a really good plan for your life. And many times we say to God, but I just want to. But everybody else is doing it. But, but things are different now in the world we live in. Things are different in the society that we live in today. And you know what God says? I'm not everybody else's dad. I'm your dad and you're not gonna live like this. Verse number 17, Paul tells the, the church at Ephesus here, hey, you see the way that other Gentiles are walking? You're not gonna walk that way. You know why? Because you know better. You see what everybody else is involved in? You're not gonna get mixed up in that stuff. You know why? Because you know a better way. God is going to protect you because he's your loving heavenly father from falling into things that would hurt you or harm you because that's what our father does for us. Last week, we took a look at how discipleship brings about spiritual maturity. You need to know your faith. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. Spiritual maturity is not an option for Christians. It's a natural progression. Our daughter, Tallulah, she, uh, she turns one next month, and I absolutely cannot believe uh, that my, my baby, baby girl is almost one. This past week, she took her very first steps, and it was so exciting 
but it was so sad at the same time. Like, this is our fourth and final child, and we just had our last first steps ever. Now, we were excited because now the baby gets to walk to us, and she gets to act like a big girl, and she's proud of herself, and she claps when she walks. My wife, on the other hand, is excited but also nervous. Why? Because this means now she can walk to the cabinets and start pulling stuff out, right? She can walk to the bathroom and start doing this on the toilet paper roll. She can walk. She gets to run faster now if she can walk, and this is terrifying times. But it would be a bad thing if Tallulah was five years old and she's still crawling. We would take her to the doctor and find out what's wrong. It would be a bad thing if she's six years old and she just wants to suck that baby food out of those tube things, right? She doesn't want to actually eat food. We'd say something's wrong because she's not maturing the way that she should. But oftentimes, Christians come to faith in Jesus Christ and they never grow. They're still sucking baby food out of those little tubes. The funny thing about that, those little tubes... And again, these are uh, things that you say when you don't have kids or when you, you, you think you're better than everybody else, right? You think to yourself, those little tubes, you know, like they sell them at Starbucks too, the little tubes that you like roll up with baby food inside. You think that's for lazy parents that don't want to sit their kids down in a high chair and eat the way that they should, you know, uh, and stuff. You say all those things, you have all these lofty views of what parenting should be like until you actually have your own kids and your life gets crazy. Um, crazy thing about our, our daughter is she now, she eats out of those tubes, but she won't eat off of a spoon. And so she has to, even if she's sitting in her high chair at home, she eats out of those little tubes that are made for bad parents. And that's what we, that's what we feed her. And so um, we, we have become the bad parents, I guess you could say, right? But she won't eat off of a spoon. She has to have that little tube thing to suck on. And so we ended up buying these tubes that you fill yourself off of Amazon. You dump baby food in because we're horrible parents. Um, but if she's five, six, seven years old still eating that way, we've got problems, If you're a Christian who's been saved for, say, more than six months or so and your life hasn't changed, it's time to start growing up a little bit. If you're a Christian and you can't look back the last couple of years in your life and see growth, it's time to grow up a little bit. It's time to mature in your faith. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was nine years old to put my faith in Christ but I never grew until I was probably in my early 20s. I didn't know what it meant to, to walk with God. I didn't know what it meant to live a distinctly Christian life. Hey, even as a teenager, I was a child of God, but I didn't want to live like it. I wanted to live like the unsaved people did. And God, and God says, no, 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 I've saved you for more than this. As we take a look at this passage of Scripture, first of all, I want you to see this morning that spiritual maturity brings a desire for holiness. The word holy sometimes gets a bad rap but the word holy is a Bible word. It means to be separate from anything that has to do with sin. And so as I grow in my maturity, as I grow up in Jesus, I'm gonna have less of a desire for things to do with sin, and I'm gonna have more of a desire to be separate from sin. I wanna grow. I wanna be more like Jesus. I wanna change the things in my life that are keeping me back from a right relationship with God. And spiritual maturity brings about a desire for holiness. You see, the more that I love Jesus, the more that I hate my own sin. These are at opposite ends of the spectrum from one another, and you can't love Jesus and love your sin at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll follow after me. And I can't follow after Jesus while following after my own sin. They're at opposite uh, paths that I must take. And so the more that I love Jesus, the more that I'll hate my own sin. Now, again, this is important that we understand. It's not a hatred of myself. It's not a hatred that I'm a terrible person. I'm a despicable human being. Uh, I hate my own guts. It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of I don't like 
who I am on my own and I need Jesus to change me. I don't like the thoughts that I have that are negative thoughts. I don't like the words that I say that are negative, hurtful words. I don't like the anger that wells up in me when things happen and I want that to change. And the more that I love Jesus, the more that I'll begin to hate my own sin. The more that I desire Jesus, the less appealing my sin is. You see, the more that you desire to know Jesus, the more that you desire to walk with Jesus, sin kind of loses its luster. It's not as exciting as it used to be. Most of us know that that, those sinful environments that we used to be a part of aren't that fun anymore and really just bring about a lot of regret and guilt. I can look back 20 years back into high school and at the time I was super uh, ticked off at my parents. I was super disappointed that I didn't get to go party with everybody else. But I look back and see a couple of loving parents that didn't know a lot. They just wanted to protect their baby boy. And I'm thankful for that. And that environment of drugs and alcohol and and teenage sexual uh, deviance, it it really kind of lost its luster for me a long time ago. And I don't feel like I missed out on anything by doing that. And the more that I love Jesus, the more that I desire Jesus, the less that I'll desire my sin. And the closer I am to Jesus, the farther away I am from my sin. You see, to come to Jesus, you have to separate from your sin. You got to leave it behind. And the closer that I come to Jesus, it requires me to walk away from my sin. You see, we're born with a desire for sin. Uh, The Bible says that all of us are born sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I desire my sin by default. That's who we are. Our sin has separated us from God. The Bible says because of our sin, we have to pay a price at the end of our life. And that price is death. After death comes judgment. You'll die one day because you've sinned against God and you'll stand before God. And the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that, the judgment. Every single person in this room will stand before God one day and you'll answer for your life. And the answer won't be, I tried to be a good person, I tried to do the right thing, I messed up, but I I did my best. The answer, the, the question will be, what did you do with Jesus because you've sinned against God and you deserve God's judgment. You deserve God's wrath. God has created a place for the devil and all of his angels called hell. And that place called hell is also the eternal resting place for all who die in their sins and all who reject God as God. So Jesus came and died in your place. The cross just tells you how much God loves you. Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins and to pay for yours so we don't have to go to hell, so we don't have to be separated from God for all of eternity, so that we can be forgiven of our sins. But it requires a decision on your part. You've got to make a choice. I was listening to a man this week. I was listening to preaching, and he said this. He said, think of it this way. You're 10,000 feet up in the air, and you're standing on the edge of an airplane, and you're getting ready to jump. There's a parachute that's offered you right before you jump out. Will you take it or not? Most of us would say, of course, I'll take it. But believe it or not, some people jump without a parachute and hope that it all works out. You might be here today saying, hey, I hope when I die, I get to go to heaven. You're jumping without a parachute and hoping that it works out. And I can tell you this, it will not work out. But if you will today put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior, you can be saved today. The Bible says that if you'll cry out to God and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe 
that Jesus died for my sins and I'm asking you to forgive me my sins. The Bible says you can be saved today, saved from eternal death, saved from hell, saved from the penalty of your sin, saved to a new life. You can be saved today. The Bible says being saved is also another word for being born again. And Jesus said in John chapter three, no man will see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Has there been a time for you where you've been saved or born again? If not, you need to do that today. You will not go to heaven apart from being a child of God. Simple as that. And if you're here today and you don't know for sure your sins are forgiven, please don't leave here until you know for sure that heaven is your home. Jesus died for you because of his love for you. And he wants to be with you, not only here on this earth, but also in eternity as well. But once you become a child of God, it doesn't end there. It actually begins there. Once you are adopted into God's family, it doesn't stop the day that you put your faith in Jesus. Everything really begins then. You're a new child adopted into a new family, and now you need to learn how to grow, to be a productive member of the family. That's what the rest of your life is all about. For those of us that are here today that have a time and place in our life where we accepted Christ as Savior, every single day for the rest of our lives is learning how to be a good son, how to be a good daughter, how to be a productive member of the family. But God says this, if you're my child, you should look different than everybody else. You should act differently than everyone else. Your life should be distinct. It's separate. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to wear strange clothes. Uh, this doesn't mean that we have to uh, all dress the same. It uh, doesn't mean that uh, ladies can't wear makeup and can't fix their hair and stuff like that. Uh, I heard it said before, if the barn needs painting, paint it. Um, it's not a matter of we all need to look the same. We all have to dress the same. We need to be weird. We need to be strange, awkward, or anything like that. But we're supposed to be different. Hey, fellas, if you go into work on Monday and you got a picture of your wife sitting on your desk and you tell people how she's the love of your life and how you're gonna spend the rest of your life with this woman, just know this, you're automatically in another category of being distinctively different and peculiar. Automatic. Because everybody else is coming into work talking about how they hate their old lady, how they're talking to some other woman on Facebook that they went to high school with and they're talking about uh, how they're gonna go to the strip club or how they're looking at pornography. If you're the guy that says, hey, I don't, I'm not involved in any of that. This woman's the love of my life. Oh, call the old ball and chain and see if you can get permission to go play softball with us today. First of all, I don't have to get permission from anybody. I'm the man in my house. Secondly, I respect my wife enough to ask her what she thinks about it because I love her. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She's my woman. Ain't no ball and chain here, that's for sure. I'm blessed. Automatically, that makes you a weirdo, guys. Just know that. You're in a different category now. Ladies, you want to live your life in a way that honors God and you don't, don't want to dress like uh, the world and, and you don't want to draw attention to your body in a sexually suggestive manner. Just know this, you're automatically a weirdo. Hey, look, I've got a 10-year-old daughter that I can't go to Old Navy and get a pair of running shorts for her that don't show way more than any 10-year-old should show. We gotta like buy size up or buy boy shorts for our kids. And I'm not trying to say uh, her shorts should come down to the middle of her shin. I'm just saying I don't want her bottom falling out of her shorts. Is that too much to ask for a 10-year-old? And you know what that makes me? Oh, what are you, some kind of weirdo? Okay, let me ask you this question. What kind of weirdo puts short shorts on a 10-year-old? That's weird to me. 
Sexualizing children is strange to me. But in our society today, we're the weirdos. And here's the thing, that's okay. I'm not decrying that. If you think that I'm weird because that's the case, I'll just take the weird label. I'm okay with that. Hey, our family doesn't watch R-rated movies because we figure if a group of unsaved guys can get together and say, hey, here's some graphic stuff. Here's some sexually suggestive stuff. Here's a lot of foul language that maybe uh, people shouldn't watch or be really, really careful about. I think we can say we probably don't need that kind of stuff going in our head and in our hearts. That's just a decision that we made. But you know what? Weirdo. And people say, you don't let your kids watch R-rated movies? No, I don't watch R-rated movies. What? Oh, but what about this, that, and the other? Hey, I've lived 41 years without seeing that movie. I can live another 41 without seeing it. And I'm okay with that. I don't need that stuff in my head and I don't need that stuff in my heart. Distinctively different. That's what God's called us to be. We can't live like everyone else. We've been called to a higher purpose. Next we see in this passage here, the unsaved man has not seen the light. Take a look at verse number 18. Take a look at verse number 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth not walk, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Uh, pause here for just a second and, and think through this with me. It comes to this, there are Jews, which the, the Old Testament was written about, written to. Jesus came and died for all mankind. So now there's no neither uh, Jew or Gentile. We're all together in one group here. But Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, a group of Gentiles, uh, non-Jew guys who have gotten saved and are now followers of his. He's saying, don't live like all of the other Gentiles live. You're different. To us, he's saying, don't live the same way that the rest of the world lives. You guys are different. We're distinct. And in a world today where we try to blur the lines between what the church looks like and what the world looks like, God says, don't blur the lines. Let there be a clear black and white line distinguishing the difference. <laughs> I couldn't make this up if I wanted to. I've been to a church service before where when they took up the offering, the band on the platform played Freebird by Leonard Skinner. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? Like, at first I thought it was a joke, like someone was going to come up and crack a joke or something. They didn't. They played the entire free, entire free bird. If you've ever heard Free Bird by Leonard Skinner, it goes on forever. And they played all of it. And I thought to myself, this is Jesus' church. There's a place for Free Bird. And it's not Jesus' church. But you know what they want, were trying to do? They were trying to blur the lines between what the world offered and what the church has to offer. Hey, there's no blurry line here. There's a distinctively different line. Christian, you're called to greater. You're called to be different. You're called to be distinctive. You're called because you've, been, you've seen the light. Take a look at verse number 18, 17. Therefore, testify in the Lord that you henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened. It's like inside their brain, somebody's turned the light off, being alienated from a life in God through the ignorance that's in them because of the blindness of their heart. You see, the unsaved man hasn't seen the light. You know who the light is? Jesus. He says he's the light of the world. And the unsaved man, they've never seen light, and so it's just dark up here. Let me help you with something. When your unsaved neighbor acts like an unsaved guy, don't judge him for it. He just hasn't seen the light yet. 
You got a coworker who's a real jerk with a foul mouth who does filthy things? Don't feel bad for them. They just haven't seen the light yet. They just need to see the light. Now, I've got problems when Christians who have seen the light act like the guy who's never seen the light. That's a problem. When you got Christians that know better that are looking at pornography, that are using foul language, that are uh, go off angry at the drop of a hat, then we've got problems because you've seen the light. If you're a child of God here today, you've seen the light and your understanding is no more dark. Somebody flipped the light on for you and you can begin to see things a little bit more clearly than you could before. But the unsaved man, he can't see the light because his understanding is darkened. Secondly, the unsaved man is alienated from God. Verse number 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them. They're aliens from God. They don't know the God that we know. You and I call God our father. You and I call Jesus our brother. You and I are part of a family. These people are outside the family. These people are orphans. These people have no people. But you and I were different. The unsaved man is alienated from God, first of all, through rebellion. And friend, don't ever get to the place where you point your finger at an unsaved person for acting like an unsaved person because know this, that was you once upon a time. If you're here and you call yourself a child of God, do not ever get into the judgmental mindset that you've got it better than other people or you're better off than somebody else because of something that you've done. Know this, you are a sinner, wretched, dirty, filthy, disgusting sinner who was scooped up by a loving God, dusted you off and set your feet upon a rock. Don't forget where you came from and don't forget who set you on that rock because you have brought nothing to your relationship with God other than your own sinfulness. So God help us if we ever get to the point where we're looking at other people down our nose thinking that we're better than them because we are not. The unsaved man is alienated from God through his rebellion and you and I have rebelled against God. And you and I have not rebelled against God that one time before we got saved. You and I continue to rebel against God in our own lives. And that's why God's saying in this passage, stop doing this. You've seen the light. You know better. You're part of the family. Next, the unsaved man is alienated from God through ignorance. And it's important to define here terms here. Ignorance doesn't mean he's an idiot or he's not smart. Ignorance means that they don't know. They don't know that there's a God who loves them. They don't know that there's a better way. They don't know that there's a a, a son named Jesus that died for their sins. They just don't know. And they're alienated God because of ignorance. That's why it's imperative that you and I go and tell people about the amazing hope that we found in Jesus Christ because we're different because somebody came to us and shared the truth of who Jesus is. Not only that, but they also are alienated from God through callousness. If you take a look at the, the uh, verse number 18, through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. The word blindness could also be translated hardness. They've hardened themselves against God. Oftentimes when talking with people about uh, my faith and trying to talk with people about Jesus, I'll ask a question and say, uh, you know, do you believe in God? And I've met uh, dozens of people who over the years have said, I don't believe in God. And the question that I always ask for people who don't believe in God is when did you stop believing? When did you stop believing in God? 
Because the Bible says that all of us are born knowing that there's a God. That's Romans chapter number one. Some point along the way, you had to stop believing in God. And every single person I've talked to had some traumatic life experience where they stopped believing in God and his goodness. They just stopped. And they began to harden their heart against God. They began to put up walls that kept God out. And they've alienated themselves because of the hardness of their heart and their rebellion against God. Next, we see in this passage, verse number 19, the unsaved man is numb to sin. Verse number 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. The word uh, in the beginning of verse number 19, who being past feeling, means they've gone beyond the point of even being able to feel sin anymore. They're completely and totally numb to sin. They can rebel against God and not even feel badly about it. We would say that these people have a seared conscience. These people can continue to sin against God and not feel badly about it, not feel any consequences, no remorse whatsoever. My wife just read me a headline of a news story that she read uh, just yesterday uh, about how four people had gotten together online and had, um, had conspired in a way to kidnap a child at a county fair to rape them and kill them. And you thought to yourself, how does that happen? How do you get so far gone that you can think thoughts like that? I don't understand it. I really don't. I don't know how one could get to the point where they would hurt a child. We, we think of that as being the worst of the worst. It's as bad as it could possibly get. But the human heart is wicked. The depths of sin are unknowable. And some people get to a point where they're completely and totally numb to sin. Have you ever done something that you knew that wasn't right, but you did it anyways, and you just really didn't care about the fallout from it? I have. That's when we become numb to sin. And the unsaved man is not numb to sin like once or twice. He's numb to it every single day. That he can rebel against God and not feel badly about it. He can make jokes about his sin. He can make jokes about his depravity. And it doesn't really matter to him because he's totally numb to sin. But if we're not careful, the whole point of this passage here is don't be like the unsaved man. The whole problem with that is many times you and I, even as children of God, can get to the point where sin doesn't bother us anymore. When sin becomes the plot line of our favorite show that we get to watch. When sin becomes something that entertains us. I've never watched a single episode of Game of Thrones that I never desire to because everything that I've read about it, written by non-Christians, is the entire plot line is centered around sex, sexual immorality, and even rape. And I say to myself, how can a Christian sit down and watch that? And if you watch the show, I don't judge you for it. I'm not mad at you. I'm just asking you to reevaluate your heart. If I can be entertained by rape, there's something wrong with me. If I can be entertained by sexual violence, there's something wrong with my heart. If I crave after pornography, there's something wrong in my heart. If I crave after money or success or or whatever it is, there's something wrong with my heart. I need to step back and check it. But the problem comes when I don't feel like I need to check my heart. I feel like I'm doing okay. I think I'm all right. I don't have to worry about anything. And I have become numb to sin. Don't let that be you. Don't walk as the other Gentiles walk 
who don't feel sin anymore, who have gone past what it feels like to know sin. Don't be that person. Keep your finger here in Ephesians 4. We're going to come back in a sec, but flip back if you would to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Probably a few pages left in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. First Corinthians chapter number six, we're gonna start in verse number nine. First Corinthians six, nine. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, that's those who have sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, those are those who have forsaken their wedding vows and have sex outside of marriage, nor effeminate, that's those who are involved in a homosexual relationship nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verses nine and 10 are a really heavy list of of sins there. And if you say this makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, the Bible makes me feel uncomfortable every time I read it with the right heart. And so it's okay. God names off specific sins here and he says, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. But verse number 11 is critical here because he says this, and such were some of you. Don't get high-minded. Don't get proud. Don't get on your high horse because you used to be in the exact same spot yourself. But he goes on to say, but you're washed. But you have been delivered from that sin. You're sanctified. The word sanctified also is the idea of being holy, set apart but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the spirit of our God. Hey, you might used to have been involved in that, but no more. You're a different creature now. And you might look at that list and go, I'm still struggling in those areas. Then knock it off because you've been set free from that. Well, I I still struggle with drunkenness. Then knock it off because you've been set free from that. I still struggle with uncleanness or idolatry. Knock it off. You've been set free from that. That's not you anymore. That's the old you. The new you doesn't have to be held down by those things any longer because you're different. You see, the unsaved man seeks fulfillment wherever it can be found. The unsaved man looks to what the world has to offer. What sin can I get involved with? What will meet my needs? What will scratch my itch? And the unsaved man seeks to be fulfilled in the things that this world has to offer there are no depths to the sin that's imagined by the human heart. None whatsoever. Cannot begin to understand how wicked our hearts are. We just can't. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all else. We can't even know our own hearts. So just know, if somebody ever gives you the advice to follow your heart, just know that's bad advice to follow. If anybody gives you that advice, find somebody else to give you advice. How about that? Because the Bible says your heart leads you astray. My heart leads me to sin. I've seen guys who say, you know what? I know we've been married for 20 years, but I feel like I should leave my spouse and follow my heart. It's the dumbest thing you've ever, I've ever heard in my life. Don't do that. Stick it out. Do what God says to do. Well, I feel like I'm following my heart. You know, I, church, every time I come to church, I, I, I hear about my sin and how I need to fix it. And I don't want to hear that anymore, so... I'm going to stop coming to church. 
What? That doesn't make any sense at all. I need wisdom in my life. I need help in my life. And I find it from the word of God. I can't find fulfillment in what this world has to offer because the world will lead me astray every single time. I need to find a place of truth. It's God's word where I can find help, where I can find fulfillment. The unsaved man hasn't seen the light. He's alienated from God. He's numb to sin. But turn back to Ephesians chapter four. As God's children were different. Verse number 17 says, don't walk as the other Gentiles walk in the vanity or the emptiness of their mind. No, you're different. You're distinct. You see, we have seen the light. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, know this, you're still walking in darkness. You're still walking in darkness, but you need the light to help you find out where you're going. If you're a child of God, the light's been flipped on for you. You can flip the light back off if you want to and continue to walk in darkness. But the Bible says you've seen the light. You know what to do. God's word brings clarity where we had no clarity before. You see, we're not alienated from God. We're the children of God. We're brought close to him. The Bible says that we've been adopted into the family of God. We're no longer orphan children. We're now children of God. We no longer have to scrounge for scraps in the street. We've been invited to sit down with the king at his table and feast from his food. I'm no longer a stranger. I'm no longer an enemy. I'm a child now, adopted into the family. So my life should be different. You see, as children of God, we can't be numb to sin. We must be sensitive to sin. I gotta be aware of my own heart and what's pulling me away from God, what's pulling me away from my spouse, what's pulling me away from the moorings that I need to hold dear to. I gotta be sensitive to that. Earlier this year, I did one of the, uh, the craziest things I've ever done before. I, I, I started the Whole30 diet. How many people have ever done Whole30 before? The idea is that you eat only whole foods and fruits and vegetables and meats and stuff like that. It was absolutely awful uh, because you can't have bread, you can't have rice, you can't have cheesecake, you can't have cake, you can't have cookies. I mean, just like that. It was awful, absolutely awful. Uh, but I was willing to do it because I want to try to be a little bit more healthy and just pay. Uh, sometimes I have an unhealthy relationship with food and I wanted to understand a lot more about that. And so I committed 30 days and we give it a shot. I did it and it was terrible. Uh, but what I found, the funniest thing is, is that as I walked through the grocery store and I would begin to read ingredient labels on all the stuff that's on the, I was like, oh man, this thing's full of sugar. Uh, this thing's full of, full of cane sugar. This is full of uh, high fructose corn syrup. This thing over here is full of maltodextrin. And you begin to read these labels and you think, oh, this is just processed chemicals. Oh, this is awful. And you begin to like be on the outside of the store where all the fresh fruits and vegetables and meats and seafoods are. And you think, this is where the real food is, the stuff in the middle is awful. It's terrible stuff, right? And you become very sensitive to what's in food. Like somebody even invites you over to the house. You say, did you prepare that with butter? I can't have butter right now. It's just the dumbest thing in the world. Um, I'll probably never do it again as long as I live. Uh, but uh, it's one of the things you become very sensitive to that. But you know, after about two weeks of, of, of being off the program, and you kind of go back to normal with stuff. You begin looking, and you're just like, I don't know what's in a Twinkie, but it sure tastes good, right? 
I don't know what that yellow sponge cake is with the white stuff inside. Uh, you can't call it icing. It's just white stuff inside. I want that. And you sit and eat a whole thing of Twinkies, and you don't feel bad about it either. That's the great part about it, because you just kind of moved on from that mindset. What's the difference? The difference is the mindset. Do I allow myself to be um, offended by sin? When I hear someone take the Lord's name in vain at work, does it like, oh, it's like grates on my soul? Like, I can't believe they just said that. Or is it just like, ah? <laughs> when I'm watching a, a television show with kids in the room and somebody says the F word, do I flip out and like jerk the plug out of the TV out of the wall? Or do I just sit and think, well, it's life. You know, you hear words like that in life. Not that big of a deal. My kids will hear that out in life one day. I don't want to shelter them too much. Are we sensitive to sin? Or are we just kind of passive about it? God says, I want you to be sensitive to it. I want you to be careful when it comes to this. You say, well, we're just living in a different society. That's the whole point. Our society is different, therefore we must be different. And this is written to, mind you, during the Roman occupation of, of the known area at that time, it wasn't really like a good, healthy, moral society. You read Roman history, they did some filthy, nasty, awful things that would make Americans blush. That's hard these days. But you know what Paul said to them? Don't live like that. Be different. You're better than that. God's created you for more. And you know what? Everybody else can live like that, but not you. Because your dad says... I'm not their dad, I'm your dad. And you're gonna live like I've called you to live. Final thoughts this morning. First of all, there must be a distinction between how we live in relation to the unsaved world. Again, I don't care if you have a who we call a bumper sticker on your car or not. It's not the mark of Christianity. I don't care if you have a gold chain that has a cross on it. That's not a mark of Christianity. I don't care if you, you know, wear Christian t-shirts or anything like that. It's not a mark of true Christianity, but your life should be distinctly different. And again, you don't have to be a weirdo. Be the guy at work that doesn't gossip, doesn't run down your boss, and doesn't curse. You're automatically different. You're distinct. Be somebody who's honest, who says, hey, I messed that up. My bad. I'll take care of it. I'll fix it. That makes you different automatically. You're, you're distinct. You know why? Because everybody else is blaming on somebody else. Yeah, that didn't get done because he, he dropped the ball. Own it. That makes you different, distinct. Love people. Be genuinely interested in people. Makes you different. There has to be a distinction between the way that we live and the rest of the world lives. Next, there's an expectation of how we live in relation to the unsaved world. What type of relationships do we have with the unsaved world? Some Christians, unfortunately, have taken an isolation mindset. I will have no friends who are not Christian. I'll go to no places that are not Christian. I'm gonna isolate myself from anyone who's non-Christian. And we've created things like Christian basketball leagues and Christian weight loss groups and Christian sewing circles and stuff like that. We've isolated ourselves that it's not Christian. I don't want any part of it. That's not God's plan. He said, be in the world, but not of the world. The idea is not that I isolate myself from the world, but that I insulate myself from the world. You see the difference there? I'm not gonna allow the world to impact me, but I'm gonna, for every single day for the rest of my life, try to have an impact on the rest of the world. 
insulated, not isolated. There'll be a distinct difference, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the one making the difference. Finally, there's an example of how we live in relation to the unsaved world. One man came to this world and lived a perfect life. He had dinners with prostitutes, tax collectors, thieves, adulterers, and he made it work. And his name was Jesus. That's my example. Hey, do you think Jesus was knocking back beers with the prostitutes? Probably not. He's probably sharing truth with them and, and making them feel like people. You think Jesus was talking to the tax collectors about their best way to shave a few bucks off of somebody here and there and how to cheat people? No, no, I don't think so. I think he was just trying to share with them, hey, I know you've done some nasty things, but you're still loved, it's okay. Do you think Jesus was meeting the rich young ruler because the rich young ruler had something to offer him? No, I think he was just trying to share truth with him. And I wanna be like Jesus. I wanna share. I want to spend time with people that are not like me, that didn't grow up like me, that don't believe like me. You know why? Because I want to have an influence. I want to have an impact. I want to show them that there's a difference. And please know this, Christian, by way of final thought here today. If you live the same way that this world lives and you call yourself a Christian, then to this world, there's no difference. I'll tell you this, as a teenager, why did I want to go to a party where there's going to be drinking, drugs, and, and sexual activity? Because the Christian friends that I had were no different. Because my Christian friends were going to that same party that I was, that I wanted to go to. No difference, no distinction. My, some of my unsaved friends from high school were better kids than the ones that I went to church with. That shouldn't have been the case. My church youth group had three teenage pregnancies in a youth group of about 20 people. That shouldn't have been the case because we hurt the name of Jesus when we live with no distinction. So I wanna challenge you with this. If you're a child of God here today, live this week with distinction. Maybe you need to take a look at your playlist that you have on your phone, the music that you listen to. Maybe you need to take into consideration the television shows that you watch. Maybe you need to take a look at the entertainment you allow into your life. Maybe you need to take a look at your friends and whether you're really trying to influence them for Jesus or whether they're having a negative influence in your life. You need to check yourself most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure that you're a child of God, please don't leave here today without knowing for sure that heaven is your home. Because right now, if you're not a child of God, you're, a, you're an enemy of God. But God today wants to adopt you into his family and make a difference in your life. For the rest of us, let's live for Jesus this week in a way that draws people to Jesus Christ, not the way the rest of the world lives.